right where you are today, can you begin to think about that name, that name that is above every name? The Bible says he has been given a name that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Somebody say God is in, God is in charge. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what problems you face. I've come to tell you that you can shout the name of Jesus. At the name and the authority of Jesus, demons tremble. At the name and the authority of Jesus, sickness can be healed. At the name and the authority of Jesus, depression can flee. At the name and the thought of Jesus, healing can come into your body. So right now, if you need something from God, I ask right now if you'll help us to praise and lift up the name of Jesus right where you are. Can you begin to bless the name of Jesus and lift up his name? God, we give you glory. We give you thanks right now in the name of Jesus for what you are doing in this place, God. I pray, God, that your spirit is felt in this place. I pray, God, that people begin to feel and sense your presence, those who your presence has been foreign to for a long time. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you make yourself real and known to them, God. We submit to your power. We submit to your grace. We submit to your rulership. We submit to your authority. And Father, I pray right now for those who need a special healing and a miracle in their body, somebody that needs a miracle in their mind, somebody that needs a miracle in a broken heart, somebody that needs a miracle in a spirit, I speak the name that is above every name to say be healed in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus God. We praise you for your name. We praise you for your authority. We praise you for your grace. We praise you for your power. And Lord, heal by the Holy Spirit. Don't just heal physically, but heal mentally, Lord God. Heal us intellectually in the scars in our soul, God. Heal us in our heart where our heart has been broken, God. Somebody needs you for one thing and somebody needs you for another, but Lord, release your power in this place. Release your miracle, wonder-working power in this place, Lord. Release your dunamis, Lord God, in this place. Let your Holy Spirit heal those who need healing and deliver those who need delivering. And God, set free those who are captive. We praise you and we thank you for it. And we believe it and receive it. For God, your word has already declared that whatsoever your heart desires when you pray, believe that you shall receive it and you shall have it. Father, the shepherd of this house, I speak by faith on behalf of this congregation. And I say we believe that we receive in the name of Jesus. And we declare it done in Jesus' name. If you believe that you receive today. Will you give God a shout of praise all over the building? Begin to praise the name of our God. Hallelujah. We praise the name of Jesus. Praise team, you can, you can go down. Thank you, God. Thank you, all my father's children, for coming into this place. Can you give God a hand clap of praise all over the building? Happy Mother's Day. For those who come in late, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are in this 
space to all the mothers that are in this building, to those who've ever carried a child uh, inside or carried a child outside. Sometimes you might not have had a child in your womb, but you have to carry children in the spirit. You have to carry children that didn't have a real mother, that didn't have the things that they needed, and you have to be a mother for them. We salute you today. Everybody who's a mother, can you stand today? We just want to give them give them their kudos today. If you want to be a mother uh, or you've ever father, if you've ever been a mother, Will you stand for us today, and can we give them a rousing round of applause? Thank you for what you do. You may be seated. Well, it doesn't matter whatever happens on this earth. One thing is for sure. There's only one way we come into the earth realm, and that's through mama. (laughs) God has made it that way. We're going to um, go ahead into, uh, we're going to do a pause to our series. We'll start back next week. But I thought it appropriate as I begin to read for next week, I'll give you a clue. I said, Lord, what should I do for Mother's Day? And I opened up Romans and it said, uh, the wrath of God is revealed. And I said, Lord, that's not it. That's not it for Mother's Day. Lord, can we, let, let's take a look again. <laughs> and so we're going to be talking about that some next week. But this week, I wanted to bring to your attention a, a very well-known story from a different perspective. Sometimes God helps you to see into the shadows of the text. If you could stand for the reading of the word of our Lord. Thank you, Victor. I'm thankful for all our brothers that are stepping up and doing uh, wonderful things. Thank you, Elazar, for, for picking up the challenge. He started working. He didn't even have his shirt. I went out there. He was already working. That's what I, I like. Thank God for men that are stepping up and helping to lead. Uh, today, the word from the Lord is in two passages of Scripture, which may actually be longer than the sermon. Mark, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to put that clock on and put about 30 minutes on it for me today. Um, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. Genesis chapter 16, rather, verse 9 through 13. And then Genesis chapter 21, verses 10, 14 through 21. Uh, when you have it, you can say amen. If you don't have it, it's on the screens for you. Let's read together. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against every one and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she says, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Genesis chapter 21, verse 10, as they pull it up quickly. Genesis 21, starting at verse 10. Let's read. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be the heir with my son Isaac. Verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of wine and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder alongside with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot, and said, Let me not look on the death of the child. 
And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift the boy and hold him fast to your hand, for I will make him great into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. I'm going to go back up and read this. You don't have to read it with me, but I'm going to stop here at verse 13 of chapter 16. It says, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing, for she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. From this scripture, other related scriptures in aid of the Holy Spirit, I want to preach to you this morning from this subject, the God who sees me, the God who sees me. Lord, speak your servants, listen, and we'll be careful to give you the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. I remember as a boy growing up in Madison County, Mississippi, which is part of central Mississippi. I remember growing up in a house and at the age of seven, my brother went off to the military and I had another brother who stayed down the street with my grandmother to help watch over her because she was elderly and there was really not anybody there in the house but me and my mom. My dad didn't live with us and I got to spend a lot of time with my mom. It was through my mom that I learned how to come to Christ. It was through my mom while she was cooking uh, that I walked up to the kitchen and said, Mama, how do you really be, how, how do you become saved? And it was my mom who unwittingly led me at the age of seven years old through the plan of salvation by telling me how to accept Jesus. We had a, a place in the old church called the Mourner's Bench. I don't know, some of you may not remember that, but the, the, in the old churches, there used to be a, a side of chairs over here for mothers of the church and a side of here for deacons and, and women sat on one side and men sat on the other. Some people sat together, but there were these benches out front and they were called mourners benches and prayer was big when I grew up. And every year we would have this prayer meeting. And then when we had this prayer meeting, we'd have a week of prayer where we brought in people who didn't know Jesus. It was an evangelistic crusade push. We didn't call it that, but that's what it was. And we would bring them in and they would lay at that altar and they would pray. And, and, and as they would pray, they they will begin to seek God and they will find God. And then that next week in the revival, they will begin to give their hand to God. And, and I remember asking my mama, I said, Mama, do I need to do I need to go down there and, and, and get on those benches? I'm interested in knowing Jesus, and I'll never forget it. My mother was actually cooking one of my favorite meals. That's why I won't forget it. She was cooking some grits with, with, with little, little hamburger steaks and things like that for breakfast, and she looked at me and she said, no, son, you don't, you don't have to do that. I said, what, what, what do I have to do? She said, do you believe Jesus lived? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, do you believe he died? Yes, yeah, yeah. I said, do you believe he rose? I said, yeah. She said, you've been in Sunday school. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? I said, mama, I I believe all, all that stuff and I want to follow Jesus uh, and she said baby your salvation a a ain't in those seats you you already saved that's that's what salvation is and and, uh, and she led me in my kitchen through the plan 
of salvation. I didn't get saved in the church. I got saved in my kitchen while my mother was cooking. And I realized that as a mother, as I look back through how parenting works, and we have a two-parent household, and how difficult it is sometimes to parent children as a, as a parent and to be able to try to get it right and to try to make things work, to try to make every child as happy as you can and to try to put the best that you can into your kids and try to raise them up without and, and, and give them some structure and some guidance and, and at the same time build a relationship and just when you think you got parenting down, you have another child and you realize that it's not fair because this child is nothing like the second one and all the stuff you thought you knew, you have to throw completely out the window. <laughs> Parenting is a hard job, and, I, and as I look at it as a father now with a wife in the house who happens to be an excellent mother who is a great mom, Robin does a lot for our kids. Robin, Robin is doing all sorts of things for our kids, and I'm extremely grateful for the mother uh, that she is, uh, not just to our kids, but also to this church. Can you give her a hand clap for the things that she does? Parenting can be taxing, but it was especially taxing for my mom because I have a two-parent household, but in my household, there was a parent of one. And mama was trying to raise four boys by herself. Luckily, they were spread out, but how much more taxing would it be for mama to be able to raise four children and keep them out of drugs and keep them out of gangs and keep them out of mischief and out of trouble on her own? I didn't come from a pretty situation. I didn't come from a house on a hill. I didn't come from the higher echelons, but I came from a Jim Walter home in the middle of a pasture with Brahmin bulls and cotton fields around and manure down in the hills of central Mississippi and in the hills of central Mississippi I, I was raised by a mother whose statistics said that at least one of my children should be dead and locked up or be in jail and all of them are doing well and all of them are still married and all of them are, 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 have raised children and have and some of those children have children and even some of those grandchildren are old enough to have children and I say how did she do it I remember my mother I do the same thing to my kids. It ignores my kids vehemently, and I love doing it. I love repeating myself now that I'm a parent and saying the same thing, and as soon as they roll their eyes and they say that I know, I know, I know, and I begin to give them these things, I get excited. Why? Because they don't realize it now, but it wasn't until my mother had gone to heaven and I didn't have my mama on earth anymore. I always wonder why mama would always tell me these things over and and over and over and over again until one day I hit a snag in life and I didn't know what to do and all of a sudden I could hear those words of my mother ring up in my spirit telling me and guiding me that although she was gone from the grave her voice was ringing up in, in, in my mind that she had implanted something indelibly in my mind and as I was raising my kids and fearful over raising my kids I remembered something brother Bob 
job that my mother had told me. She said it in broken English. She was from the South, and she grew up in the 40s, and she didn't have the best English in the world, but she would say this. She said, they said my children would never be nothing. I know it's a double negative because they didn't have a daddy in the house, but, but you know what I did? And she would always tell me this story. She would say, one day I got on my knees, and I said, Lord, these are not my children, <laughs> but they are your children. <laughs> and I can't raise them on my own. They're right. <laughs> but I'm going to give them back to you and I'm going to let you raise them and I'm going to leave it in your hands. She did the best she could with a high school education. I remember growing up, and, and I got to the seventh grade, and now my eyes glass over as my kids do even more intricate types of math. And she began to say, I can't help you with math anymore when I got to algebra. She said, baby, that's as far as I go, but I, I can get you some help. She was trying the best she could. She was misunderstood, but because of the type uh, of way we came into the world, my mother often had to be lonely. She often had to not live in a way that everybody would look upon how her children came into the world with grace and with niceties because you know what? Church folk can be mean. Did you know that sometimes everybody in the church doesn't have the church in them? If you've ever been hurt in the church, don't equate being hurt in the church by church folks. Because here's the thing. We say hypocrites in the church. We all hypocrites. Saying that they're hypocrites in the church is saying that like there are sick people in the hospital. That we would feel mighty strange going into a hospital where there weren't any sick people. This is the place where the hypocrites need to hang out and get to know Jesus. If somebody says, I'm not coming. <laughs> When, when people tell me I'm not coming to church because the church is full of hypocrites, I look at them and I say, good, we got room for one more. Come on in. You can come on in with all of us. Because <laughs> all of us are sinners saved by grace. My mother uh, raised her children the best way she knew how. And I begin to think of my mother and I begin to think of the song or the story of Hagar. For many times when we read the Bible, we talk about Abraham and Sarah and we talk about the promise. But down in the shadows of the text is a woman who we generally tend to look over. She is a woman who is an alien. She is a woman who is now not living in her own country. She is a woman who is living in the Middle East, but was born on the plains of Africa. For she is Egyptian and her name is Hagar. And Hagar has, has, has been moved because now she is a slave of Abraham and Sarah. And, and, and Hagar doesn't get to look up like girls nowadays and say, I want to marry a man with broad shoulders and a nice job and, and, and all these other things. I, I laugh when I, I talk to my daughter. My daughter Haley would always say, uh, Daddy, I don't want to be married. I don't want to be married because I'm going to have to leave the house. I'm, I don't want to be married because I'm going to have to leave the house. And I said, baby, at some point in time, you got to be, be, uh, be married. You got to leave the house. And one day Hobby Lobby fixed all my problems because we walked into Hobby Lobby and Haley was looking around all this stuff. And I and Haley had all these things. We went to Hobby Lobby the other day. And when we went, they said they came with a basket, Brother Dave. I said, I thought you said we were going to walk around. And they said, we are. The basket is for mama's purse. But somehow 
By the time we got to the end, it was filled with stuff, Brother Stephen. I don't know how that works out. But I remember Haley looking at me, and she said, Dad, I have a new plan. She said, I said, what's that, baby? She said, I'm going to marry me a rich man, and I'm going to spend all his money on Hobby Lobby, and I can have all the stuff I want. As we look at Hagar, Hagar doesn't get to pick her rich man. Hagar doesn't have control over her life because Hagar is a slave. Every time you see her referred to mostly in the Bible, she is referred to as the maidservant or the slave. She is not even referred to by her name. She's told to go get this and go do that. She's known as a fetcher. Go fetch this and go fetch that and go do this for Sarah and go do that. They never bother even to use her name and somewhere out in the Middle East this young Egyptian girl no doubt although you can see her with your eyes she feels invisible. She feels invisible because all the things she does goes to naught because nobody ever says thank you. Nobody ever gives a word of kindness. They just assume because of her position that she has to do what she has to do. Have you ever had somebody do that, moms? Have you ever felt like nobody likes you for who you are, but they like you because you can make peanut butter and jelly and pick them up after school? They like you because you can give money to them when they miss, spend all of their. They like you because when you get sick, they can do these things. Husbands like you and all of a sudden you get all tired from doing all the things you want to do uh, during the day, taking care of kids and taking care of family and all those things. And when you come home, you want to go to bed and there's this dude, they'll call your husband and he's smiling and, you, and you're looking at him like, why are you smiling? You know why he's smiling, but nobody cares that mama's tired and you wonder about this and you said, does anybody see me? Does anybody care that I'm tired? <laughs> Did anybody think about the fact that when they went to open up the refrigerator, there was food in it? Because somebody went shopping. Did anybody think about the fact that when they scraped their elbow, there was somebody there to kiss it and make it all better? Does anybody think about the fact that when you're crying as a teenager and your life seems like it's going to be gone, that there's a mama sitting there to be a doctor and to be a counselor and to be, and, and to be a mental health coach and to be a life coach and to be a chef and to be a chauffeur and do all these things? And many times, mothers can put themselves in the place of Hagar. They're known not by who they are, but by what they can do for everybody else. Am I preaching, mother? <laughs> They're known by what they can do for everybody else. We're, we're grateful for them, but oftentimes, we men, many times don't stop to say thank you. And those are things that be, can become annoying to mothers, and they'll wonder and say, I wonder if anybody cares who I am. I wonder if anybody ever sees me. I wonder if anybody ever cares. And just when they began to come in to talk to Hagar, they didn't come to talk to her to tell her that they were going to give her something. They didn't come to talk to her and tell her thank you for the things that she had already done. They began to add a new bullet point to her resume, surrogate. She didn't get to choose the man she wanted. She was told who she had to be with. 
She didn't get to choose who the father of her children would be. It's of the culture of the time. It's indicative of the time. So in a cultural context, that's not uncommon. But at the same time, she is being pushed towards having a child because her maid servant or her mistress can't have one. And so she's been given to Abraham for a wife. And because she can produce and Sarah cannot. And she has been reduced. Everybody said reduced. To what she could produce. Somebody said produce. <laughs> Has anybody ever felt like you were diminished to only what you did for people and nobody ever really cared? That you've been reduced to what you could produce? Sometimes this works for daddy. Sometimes you reduce. I tell you what daddy feel like he, he, I, I, he's reduced to. Sometimes daddy feel like he reduced to this right here sometimes. <laughs> people walk up to daddy and sometimes I say I feel like I'm reduced to what I can produce. And, and they, they come with those big bushy eyes and they smile and the mama's right behind them. And I, in my mind I could already hear somebody call 911 for my wallet. It's, it's fixing to go in the cardiac arrest. Reduced to what you you can produce and sometimes moms feel the same way and when we need a ride or home to a, the doctor mama's there when we need somebody to wash wipe our tears and mama is there and Hagar has been chosen to produce an heir by these people Abraham and Sarah who are disobeying God God had already told Abraham and Sarah I will give you an heir but because God didn't move fast enough they decided to move for themselves, and because they had not enough faith to wait on God, now she's pulled into drama. Now she's pulled into a weird family dynamic. It would have been normal of that day, so to put it into context, many times when women in the olden times, in the ancient times, could not have children, it was considered a disgrace. So what they would do is they would have children through their maidservant. We call that surrogacy today, but they didn't have the technology we had, so they had to do it a little bit differently. And now we find Hagar in our first scene because when she finally able to produce, it gets a little catty in the house. It gets a little round round in the house. And Abraham, uh, Sarah, and, and Hagar aren't getting along too well. And no doubt, Sarah, uh, Hagar turned back to, hey, uh, to Sarah a time or two and said, you talk to me like, like I can't do anything, but I can do what you can't do. Can you, can you see this right here? And all of a sudden, now there is tension in the house. And Sarah begins to mistreat Hagar. And Hagar, instead of facing her problems, she runs from her problems. She gets out and she begins to run. She doesn't know where she's going. She doesn't have any direction in life. She's just floating through life. You know why? Because I hear the angel of the Lord. And if you study the text, you will realize that phrase actually means God himself. And that phrase comes down in a theophany. He says, he asks these two questions. He says, Hagar, where have you come from? And Hagar, where are you going to? It sounds very similar to Adam, where art thou? It was not because they did not know where Hagar was, but it was because Hagar did not know where Hagar was. Are there any mamas in the house that can admit that while you've been raising your kids and trying to handle marriage and deal with crazy kids, sometimes even though you did your best, sometimes you feel like you don't know which way is up, which way is left, which way is right, and you've lost your sense of direction. 
You've lost your sense of self. What he is saying is, Hagar, come back to yourself. I need you to get a sense of direction. And the only way she gets a sense of direction is she begins to talk to the angel of the Lord. I want to come in and tell you this morning, you may not have a lot of friends because you can't trust them, but you can always go and talk to Jesus about your problems. You can always go and talk to Jesus about your situation. I remember a song that says, I have a little talk with Jesus and I'll tell him all about my troubles and he will hear my faintest cry and he will answer by and by. I come to talk to our young mothers that are here in the room and online. You may feel lost and without direction, without a sense of identity or self, but I've come to tell you today that you are not alone. That Listen to the God who sees you. Because after God began to speak to her heart, she named her son Ishmael, which means the God who hears. But the place, if you go back and look at the original Hebrew, she, she must have heard Brother Ernest's sermon. She called God a particular name, one of the names of God. She called him El Roy, or in other words, the God who sees. Why would she call him the God who sees? Because she was out in the wilderness. It's not because she was out in the wilderness by herself. Because out of all this time, she lived life and been somebody else's slave. No control over her life. No control over her body. No control over her decisions. No control over anything. She realized something. Although people were looking at her, through her, and over her, the whole time God could see her. She was never alone. I want to let you know that sometimes you may feel as a mother that you're underappreciated. And some may even say, all the stuff I do, why do I only get one day a year? I've come to tell you, you don't get one day a year. Because 365 days a year, there is a God who sees you. There's a God who knows your troubles, even when you feel like you're by yourself, there's a God who's watching. <laughs> even when you feel lost and hopeless and you have no sense of bearing, remember this, that everybody say, God will hear. He's letting us know that God will hear. Even if you're not a mother, you, this applies to you. Even if you're male, you may feel like you're going through life and you're lost. I want you to know that God loves you and he will hear you. Even if he doesn't respond the way you think he needs to respond, he is the Lord, the curios, the controller. He has it all in the palm of his hand and he is guiding you. You are not going listlessly through life by yourself, but you serve a God who is intelligent. You serve a God who has a purpose and a plan and a will and God who is a creative designer and he uses the broken fragments of earth. He uses the broken pieces of your life and he takes them and he picks them up and he makes a beautiful stained glass window out of them because he signs not the son but his son through your life and all his broken pieces so people can see the beauty that's been created in your broken. She's in a broken place. 
She's in a broken place, and you would think that would be the end of the story. But she goes on, and she decides to go back like God told her, and she has a son. And she has a son named Ishmael, and everything is working just fine in Hagar's life now. Hagar has a son. Hagar's taken care of. Hagar, because she's the mother and one of the wives of Abraham, because the translation says she gave her to Abraham to wife, she has a secure life now. She doesn't have to worry about what she's going to eat and what she's going to have to drink. But all of a sudden, God pulls out and keeps good on his promise. And Isaac comes into the picture. And now there's a problem because as Isaac is weaned and and Abraham has a ceremony for Isaac, one time Ishmael begins to snicker at Isaac. And oh, now we have a Jerry Springer moment now. <laughs> we have a moment where mama looks at this child and she's already fussed at Abraham and said, what is this drama that you brought to my door? She seems to forget that it was her idea in the first place. Isn't that amazing how people can push you up to do something? But when you both do it, it's your fault. I don't know how that works, but that's how Sarah was feeling. And she says something to Abraham. She said, this child will never get an inheritance with my child. She never said that this child is here because of my mistake, and so we should take care of this child. She only cares about her and herself, and so now the security that Hagar sees, she has to go into the wilderness. The Bible says that when Abraham heard what Sarah had to say to him, he was distraught. He was upset because Ishmael is still his son. He did not want to do it, but God comes to Abraham and says, do what your wife tells you to do. The reason he tells him to do what your wife told you to do is for a specific purpose because although Abraham doesn't know what's going to happen, God already calculates our mistakes. I'm so glad that we only calculate our successes. I work in I work in, in finance, Brother Ernie, and I, I hear people coming to me all the time saying, I'm ready to retire. And I say, that's great. You're ready to retire. And they tell me about this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. And when all that lines up, I'm going to be able to retire the way I want to. And I say, but what if that doesn't happen? And they look at me strange, Brother Dave. <laughs> because in my mind, we always think that everything in life is going to happen just the way we plan. But what happens when life doesn't work the way you plan? What happens when life doesn't give you what you think you should get? What happens when you didn't grow up in the nicest and the happiest family situation? What happens when you didn't grow up with with the Brady Bunch and the Beaver, Leave It to Beaver and the Cleavers? What happens when you didn't go to the best school? What what happens when you didn't get a GED or barely a degree or anything? What happens when you drop out? What happens when sickness comes to your door and life doesn't go as you plan? Well, guess what, Brother Day? God still has planned and God still has a plan for your life and he's calculated your mistakes into the mix. He's calculated your failures. He's calculated the thing that you didn't take a chance to think about. God already knows and he already sees. He's already got you in the palm of his hand. He said, let Hagar go. 
Go ahead and let her go. I, I, I got her, Abraham. And as Abraham begins to send her away, the Bible says this, and it seems kind of brutal when you read it. It says, and Abraham cast out the slave woman with her son, for the slave woman shall never be the heir to my son Isaac. And so the Bible says that he rose early, verse 14, in the morning and took bread and a skin of wine and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child. You've only given her enough bread and enough water for about a day and here it is thinking that life was grand and now she's a single mother a single mother that doesn't know how she's going to raise her children <laughs> a single mother that, that has just been kicked out through no fault of her own for only doing sister what she's been told to do she didn't ask to make a baby with Abraham. She was told she had to. And now she is on her own. And right now she can't even think way back 16, 17 years ago about Elroy, the God who sees, because now the reality of now has blinded her faith. And all she can see is the situation that she's going through. Have you ever been in that situation, mothers, where you don't know how you're going to make it out of a particular situation? You don't know how much. How are you going to have enough money to make ends meet? You, you, you're going through marital troubles and you don't know how you're going to make it out or if you'll ever come out on the other side or there's sickness in you or in your family and you don't know if you're going to come out on the other side. We tend to be like Hagar because if we look around, we see that Hagar has given up. She's forgotten that God hears. She's forgotten that God sees. The Bible says that when she's looking at her situation, she uses her five senses to do the thing that she thinks would be the best. She takes her son and she puts him under a, a covering and she goes away off. The Bible says about a bow shot, close enough to run if she needs to. Why? Because she's given up and she says, my son is going to die and I'm too emotionally distraught to watch this but all she forgot about the God that she named Elroy. <laughs> For the Bible says an angel of the Lord comes to her and says that God has heard the cry of your son and he's going to be a great nation. Why do I need to know this, Pastor? Because some of us have heard God early on in our life and we've taken a path that God went this way and we went that way and we can't hear God moving in our life and we think that if we walk into the church, the church may explode and we may catch on fire. I've come to tell you that your detour did not catch God by surprise. You may think that God has forgotten you. You may think that God does not care, but God already knew where you were headed and he's already waiting on you when you get there because he is the God who sees. He's been waiting on you to come home. He's been waiting on you to take you to the next level and portion of your destiny. He already sees. But then I love this part, Brother Dave. You know why? Because after she finished talking to God, the Bible says, and then the Lord opened her eyes and she looked and saw a well. You know what that means? That the entire time, Brother Ernie, the well was already there, but she could not see the provision because she kept focusing on her problem. But when she began to talk to Jesus, <laughs> the Lord opened her eyes so she could see what was right in front of her. Moms, how many of you have a tendency to worry over your kids? 
<laughs> and worry about how they're going to end up and what they're going to do and the choices that they make. Even after 18 and dad is saying, you're 18, get out. You're on your own now. Mother, mama can't kick them out. Mama's letting them come back to stay. They, they mess up. They come home. Mama's letting them in. Dad's saying, get out. And they come back and mama's letting them come in. Dad said, get out again. And they come back and they keep doing this. Why? Because mama's always obsessing and worrying about her kids, worrying about how they're going to end up. And sometimes they spend so much time looking at their kids, they forget to look and lift their eyes into the hills from which cometh their help. And if you begin to talk to God, God will put you at ease and say, I am the Lord thy God and I have the world in my hands, which means your child is included. Go ahead and lay your head down and go to sleep because if you pray to me, I've got it under control. Pastor, you don't understand. Mine are acting crazy right now. They're doing stuff that I didn't raise them to do. That's fine. If you train them up in the way they should go, when they get old, they will not depart. Just pray that God covers them until they find their way home. Don't beat yourself up about it. But remember this. Not only will God see, not only will God hear, God will keep his promises. <laughs> Just like he did in the desert the first time, Sister Pat. He repeats to her what he said almost 20 years ago, that I will make him into a great nation. What God is saying to him is stop worrying about your child, mama. Remember what I said. I need to talk not just to mamas today. I need to talk to everybody that I pray that the Lord opens your eyes, that no matter what you're going through in life right now, that you take your eyes off of your problems and you begin to look back at the promise. I don't care if it's been 10 or 20 years ago. I don't care how long it's been since you've been in church. I don't care how many long it's been since you felt like you really heard the voice of God. If he's in your mind right now, he's speaking to you right now saying, remember what I told you when you were a little girl. Remember what I told you when I was a little boy. You've been focusing on your problems, but if you'll just trust me, I am the God who sees and the little detour you took didn't take me by surprise. I still have a plan for your life. I still have love for your life. I still have grace for your life. I still have truth for your life. Why am I standing here? Am I standing here because Willie was so good? Am I standing here because Willie made no mistakes. God forbid, absolutely not. I'm staying here because I had a praying mother and her prayers have kept me to this day. That even though my mother's gone to glory, I'm still riding off of prayers that my mother prayed for me. I'm in this place, in this space. Why? Because I don't belong to the world, even no matter how much I try to go to the world. Uh, no matter how much, I couldn't figure it out when I was young, Brother Day. I would go places, and I, I'd go to clubs, and they said, what you doing here, church boy? You don't, you don't belong here. I do stuff I wasn't supposed to do. People that didn't even know me, and they feel weirded out by me. Why? Because I didn't belong to the world. I didn't realize that my mother had already given me to God, and no matter how far I tried to run, I kept finding myself back in the place of Jesus because God remembered mama's prayer and I served a God who sees and he knows. You're not in this place by accident. 
You're not in this place just because it's Mother's Day. You're in this place because you serve a God who sees and you have a mother or a father or uncle or a friend, somebody who's praying for you, and God refuses to let you go because he's the God who sees. He is El Roy. But pastor, what about all the stuff I've done that doesn't matter? He sees all your mistakes. He sees all your failures. That's thank God for Romans 5 and 8, that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He died for me knowing I would mess up, but he loved me that much that he did it anyway. He sees you. You are not invisible. Behold, I want to give you this and we're going to leave. It's Isaiah 49 verse 16, and I want you to internalize this verse. This is what God says. He says, let's read it together. What does it say? Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. Those are the words of God. He's speaking to Israel, and it holds true to you today. He's saying, I have tattooed your name. That's what that word means, to engrave or to tattoo. I have tattooed your name on the palms of my hands so that every time I look at myself, I see you. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done or where you've gone. Thank God for a praying mother. Amen. Some of us had praying mothers that weren't our biological mothers, but they were our mothers just the same. I guarantee you, if you're in this room, it's the result of somebody's praying mother. If it's somebody my children have invited, it's because my mother prayed for me. I raised them in the field of the Lord and the Lord, but asked them to get you to come. If you're in this building, somehow, through some way, you are the result of the prayers of someone. And you are also the benefactor of a God who sees. Somebody say he loves me anyway. God had mercy on Hagar, and she was a slave. She wasn't at the top of the socioeconomic rung. She was at the bottom, but he loved her anyway. She didn't go to the best Ivy League schools, but he loved her anyway. She wasn't the first wife. She was what we call a side chick today. but he loved her anyway. Why is it important for you to know this? Because it doesn't matter what you've done and where you've been. If you will repent and come to God, he loves you anyway. He's engraved your name on the palms of his hands. He loves you. And he wants you to come to him. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. For I 
I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I hear God speaking to somebody's heart right now. Come to me. It doesn't matter where you've been. Come to me. I see Somebody's caught. You can come to the altar if you want. Somebody's caught in a prison of depression. Somebody's caught in a prison of sadness. And you've talked to multiple counselors. You've talked to multiple physicians. And they can't seem to solve your problem. God is saying, come to me. I see you. I am El Roy. I am the God who hears. I do what psychopathic medicine can't do. I do what the psychiatrist can't do. I do what the counselor can't do. All those things are good in their place. I do what the life coach can't do. All those things are good, but they are limited. I am God that has no beginning or end. I have no limits. Come to me. I see you. I see what you're going through. And I hear your cries in the wilderness. And just like I came for Hagar and Ishmael, I'll be there for you. Some in the room have lost loved ones and you're in the wilderness right now. You don't know which way is up. Some people didn't even come to church today. You know why? Because like me, their mother is going to heaven and they're in a point of grieving and they don't know which way is up. But I've come to tell you this. I know a God who is not just a friend for the friendless, but he is a mother for a motherless. He says this to, to Moses as we get ready to close. I love what he says. When Moses asks who, Pastor Ernie, shall I say sent me? He uses a specific phrase. He uses the phrase that I am, that I am. It on its face in English, it may not mean as much, but this is what it means in Hebrew. I will be whatever I will be. And what he's literally saying to Abraham is, I'll be, or to Moses, I'll be whatever you need me to be. How many need God to be something in their life today? He'll be just that. This altar is open. Some are already here. Thank you.